Way back in part one of our journey through the fall, Jonathan Fisher mentioned how much he loved the sleeve artwork on Grotesque. We were later contacted by a listener calling himself Whizbang Pow to say he was the proud owner of the original painting by Mark's sister, made at the exact dimensions of an LP sleeve and now hanging on his wall. We asked him to send us a photo, which he did, along with a bit of backstory on how he came to own it. He'd bought it 20 years ago from a user on a fall forum who'd found it in a disused office block. That owner's wife had eventually made him get rid of it, and the new owner has had many offers since for this important rock relic. We love stories like this, please do share them, and we'll happily pass them along to the other listeners. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and of course the Facebook group where it all started, facebook.com slash groups slash tempfans. Just search tempfans or temporary fandoms. As for the podcast, you've obviously already found it, but I'm compelled to mention that the Spotify version comes with the tunes we're talking about and is my favourite way to listen. You can find links to this on our host at Beat Rehab, that's beat.rehab slash tempfans, or at tempfans.com. Bolty and Vimto and Spangles were always crap, regardless of the look-back bores, sings Marky Smith on It's a Curse, which we'll be coming to in today's episode. He might just be right, although I do like a Bolty. Thankfully, Vimto and Spangles are not the topic of today's episode, and we hope not to bore you with our continuing backwards look through the records of the fall. Hello there, welcome to episode 17 of Temporary Fandoms. I have said that four times today, um, two because I screwed it up and one because we weren't recording for approximately half an hour. I'm Ewan. <laughs> I'm Nick. And we are knee deep in the fall. Joining us for this episode in our revolving fall-esque lineup, welcoming back Joey Von Hess, friend of the pod. Hey, Zoe. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Everyone's staring at me. Everyone's staring at me like I'm a monster because we were having a good old chat and I pointed out that I hadn't hit record. Um, also joining us for the first time is Joe Mitchell. Hey, Joe. Hey. Hello. And in this episode, you're going to hear Zoe talking about which album, Zoe? Uh, Extricate, Shift Work, and Code Selfish. Perfect. And Nick will be talking through The Infotainment Scan and Middle Class Revolt. Perfect. Um, Joe's not curating any of the albums on this episode, but he will be in the next one. Um, mainly because I've already said this a couple of times, so I'm skipping through relatively quickly. Um, join us in a bit. <laughs> Hi, I'm Zoe, and I'm here to talk to you about three albums by The Fall from the early 90s. First up, Extricate. Released in 1990 on Fontana, which is a subsidiary of Polygram, or Phonogram, as the holding company was also known. Yes, we're in major label territory, and it shows. But first, who's in and who's out? Marky Smith is in, of course. Martin Brahma is back. Yes, Martin of first lineup fame. Bricks is out. Craig Scanlon's on guitar, Steve Hanley's on bass, Marsha Schofield's on keys, and Simon Wollstonecroft is on drums. There's some session musicians on fiddle, flute and oboe, and the production is overseen by Craig Leon. Adrian Sherwood produces one track, as do Cold Cut, they produce a couple on this one. This is the first Post Bricks album. I don't know if it's worth mentioning that not only had Mark and Bricks divorced, but also that Mark's dad had died the year before, 
I guess in part it explains the feeling of melancholy defiance that hangs over this album. You might also say that this is the beginning of their wazzy period. Wazzy is shorthand in our temporary fandoms group for anything that has a slightly indie dance crossover tinge, anything baggy from that 90s period. Telephone thing is well wazzy. Sing Harpy opens up the whole shebang. It's another one of Mark's diss songs and it's catchy as hell. Bill is Dead is a full classic. Many people love this one. It made number one in John Peel's Festive 50 that year. Well, of course it did, right? But actually, that was the only time they did. There's a couple of covers um, of The Monks, now that's a cult band, and The Searchers, not so much. If you bought the CD version, as I did, you got a few extra tracks as well. I would say that this is their most conventional album in a sense, but perhaps also one of their most coherent. If you like the shonky punky era, then this might not be for you. But if you want a full album that's sleek, well-crafted and accessible, then you might just fall in love with this one, as I did, what, 31 years ago now. I have to say, the two tracks that really stand out for me are Chicago Now and The Littlest Rebel. I'll listen to these songs till the day I die. They're absolutely quintessential full songs and I've also selected them for the Spotify playlist. And now on to 1991 and Shift Work, which is also on Fontana. I'm just warning you now that this album and the next has more of an electronic influence due to the input of Dave Bush, who was a roadie turned band member. But to be fair to Marky Smith, he had already worked with Cold Cut and Mouse on Mars as early as 1989, before we start talking about bandwagons. This bandwagon is definitely on a detour. The first time I heard this, I've got to admit, I was put off by the opening track, so what about it? But I did persevere, and you should too, if only to discover the gem, you haven't found it yet. While I was doing research for this podcast, I went back to look at what I said about this album when I heard it for the first time in the Facebook group a few years ago. I'd say my position hasn't changed. Okay, so it doesn't really hang together as an album, but almost any full song is 80% more interesting than whatever else was going on at that time. I think it would be fair to say that a lot of full fans don't rate this album at all. In fact, someone in the group referred to it as shit work. That was you, Max Williams. And a lot of people say it runs out of steam at the end, and I'd have to concur. I'm probably one of the only people on the planet who doesn't rate Primal Scream, Screamadelica, and I would actually honestly rather listen to this than that. But it's hard to be objective about the form. It's almost like the usual criteria doesn't apply. It's hard to get consensus, as one person's excellent fall album is another person's trash. I think the thing we need to ask is, do I like it? So do you? Do you like it? As for lineup, no big changes yet. Of course, we have Dave Bush with his electronics and the production duties are shared by Craig Leon, Robert Gordon and Grant Showbiz. I know that Edinburgh Man is a fave from this album, but it's not for me. I'd say there are highs and lows on this one. And to illustrate this, I've chosen You Haven't Found It Yet as my high and a lot of wind as the low for the playlist. I actually like a lot of wind, but I think I might be on my own for this one. So, on to our third fall album of the 90s, and we're only in 1992, prolific as fuck. This one also on Fontana. We're still in the same wazzy jurisdiction as Shiftwork, but Code Selfish does sound more consistent. 
Could it be that they've had time to work out how to fuse Dave Bush's electronics with the formidable rhythm section of Steve and Cy? The Fall have always been about experimentation. I guess it's up to you to decide if this particular undertaking is successful or not. Once again, we open up with a diss track. This one is supposedly about their ex-manager, Trevor Long, who Marky e. Smith unsuccessfully sued. I particularly enjoy his vocal affectations on this album, but to be honest, there's nothing really great, except for maybe time enough at last, but nothing really bad either. The single Free Range from this album is The Fall's only top 40 single that was an original song. Any higher chartings were cover versions. Talk of the Charts is relevant to this era of The Fall because they were on a major label and they were seeking commercial success. They were surrounded by other bands from Manchester who were doing very well, why not them? It seems like a bit of an old-fashioned concept now, but these were the days where you could pay off your mortgage on the back of a hit single or two. The lineup for this one is, you could say, stripped back. That's because Martin and Marsha were fired in the middle of the Australian tour to promote Extricate. With only a couple of weeks left to go, Mark sacked them and sent them home. It said it was because they were romantically involved and Mark thought it was unprofessional, <clears throat> bricks. But when asked why, he cited musical differences. The tracks I'd like to highlight on this album and the ones I've chosen for the playlist are Time Enough At Last, which is a lovely little melancholy indie number, and Two-Face. If I'm really honest, I'm not a fan of the harsher electronic sound on this album, but don't let me put you off. I also like Gentleman's Agreement, but I realise that these three tracks are more restrained and don't represent the main thrust of Code Selfish. There's only one thing for it, you're just going to have to go and listen to the whole album. <laughs> 